Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to Destination Draft Day. A little late getting out of the gates for you. A little technical difficulties on our end. Sorry about that. Michael Rockman, Nick Durst here to talk about all things NFL Draft, professional football, college football, everything in between. It's a long road, but we'll get you there. Destination Draft Day. Nick, how are you doing? Michael, I am disgusted at the lack of integrity from Doug Peterson and the Philadelphia Eagles. I have never seen such outright tanking in one particular game like I've seen on Sunday Night Football. The Eagles have a chance to tie the game and go for a field goal. Doug Peterson, he says, screw that. I'm going to try to get the points. All right, I guess you can live with that. But then to be down 17-14, starting the fourth quarter, and you decide to bench your only chance to win the game. You bench Jalen Hurts, and you bring in Sudfield, who shouldn't even been in the game. Maybe you shouldn't even dress because, you know, Carson Wentz, it's a whole drama there. And Carson Wentz, he wants to be traded. He has nothing to do. He wants nothing to do with Doug Peterson. It's one thing to try to lose to get a higher draft pick, which they did. They jumped from ninth to sixth. But in the process, Doug Peterson lost the locker room. And this is going to be bad news for Philadelphia next year. They're not going to be able to recover from this. Because imagine, you're giving it your all out there. You're playing hard to win. And your coach says, screw this. We're going to try to lose. That's unprofessional. There's no doubt about it. He tried to lose. The players can't be happy. And it was just a disgusting display of of integrity, lack of integrity there last night. I know plenty of people on Twitter, players around the league, insiders, not happy about the decision. And the biggest person that's not happy has got to be Jalen Hurts, who is trying to develop. You need to see if he's your guy for next year. And you pull him with the chance for him to have a comeback win in the fourth quarter. Unacceptable, despicable, not happy about it. What did you think about that game last night, Michael? Yeah, it's one of those interesting situations where, you know, there's no real way to prove that they were tanking necessarily, but this was definitely one of those situations where 
it seems as though it was. Because, look, I understand the argument, oh, the Dolphins did in Ryan Fitzpatrick really picked up momentum. This isn't like a Fitzpatrick where the guy had been starting all season and playing well, and then they decided to go with their rookie, and the rookie started to struggle. First off, Jalen Hurts was doing some stuff. He wasn't having a great game, and I understand that that's maybe not the uh, perfect reason to bench him. Maybe there was a little bit of justification. However, when you see Sudfeld failing to pass the ball further than the line of scrimmage, you need to realize, okay, Jalen Hurts is our best chance to win. So this felt like an obvious attempt at a loss, but ultimately I assume he probably had the approval of people higher up to go and get a better draft pick, maybe even was encouraged to do so. Uh, Ultimately, wasn't fun to watch, was a little frustrating, has soured me on the Eagles a little bit, but, you know, it's it's part of the game, I guess. And I guess if they want a few extra picks, then it's worth it for them. Well, I, I, yeah, I get it. You want to get the higher picks, but to blatantly do it, so obviously in the middle of the game, in which you can definitely win, what does this do to Jalen Hurts? There's no way he's going to be able to go into next year trusting Doug Peterson. You saw that hit. Carson Wentz wants to trade. He says it's beyond repair, uh, their relationship. Jim Schwartz, he's stepping down after this year. Maybe it's because of Peterson. He says he wants to just take a year away from the game. I don't, I don't, I don't think this is going to turn out pretty next year for Michael. Like you said, they're going to run it back. They're going to bring Wentz back. They're going to bring Hartz back. I think they maybe sign Nick Foles, get him in the mix. Maybe Sudfield's there as well. Who knows? I don't see this playing playing out well here next year for the Eagles. And this is a shame that we're talking here about to start the playoffs. We've got the college football playoffs set. We know a lot of the draft order here. And we're talking about the Eagles and what is the future for them. I don't see it working out well. Uh, I I was supportive of the move for them to keep Doug Peterson three straight years in the playoffs, won the Super Bowl. But now the seat is hot on Black Monday here. The seat's hot on Doug Peterson, Michael. Yeah, and I don't think Wentz will be back. There's almost no chance. you you got to trade him off, whether it's to a team like the Indianapolis Colts or whether it's a team, you know, like maybe if the Saints are able to make it work or another squad out there. But there's no way Wentz comes back. And it's hard to justify the players are going to be happy playing for Peterson. I understand, you know, maybe some of them knew what was going on. But still, you can't really fully be invested in a coach that's actively kind of losing games like this. And – you know, whether you want to say it was just a bad judgment call on his end or if you want to say this is just really poor and obvious tanking, plays like that where you're pulling your QB that is supposed to be the future of your franchise, the future of your team, and you're now just pulling him in the third quarter because he's 7 for 20 passing in a game where you're still right in the mix, It just it's not a good message to send to the rest of your guys. Yeah, welcome to Brian now who is, you know, pulling off some uh, major Baker Mayfield vibes right now. And congrats to the Browns who are going to the playoffs. Well-deserved. But, Brian, real quick, your thoughts on the lack of integrity by Doug Peterson and Sunday Night Football. Uh, Yeah, just a tinge of frustration coming from you as a Giants fan, I'm sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, you can look at it two ways, right? Uh, I guess – the uh, it's obvious that Doug Peterson wasn't trying to win the game. I mean, and so that is a lack of integrity, you know, in, in itself. Uh, the team was in the game. I personally think that he said during the week that he wanted to look at Sudfeld in the event that he did this exact thing. He should have just started him, I think. 
if he left Jalen Hurts in the entire game, nobody would have come back to him and said, hey, what about Sudfeld? You didn't get right. a look at him. Nobody would have cared. Yeah. Um, but I he was heard. able to have some plausible deniability when he puts in Sudfeld. And he says, well, I told you during the week I was going to put Sudfeld in. So he kind of, you know, set himself up that he'd have some, I think, some deniability I mean, there. Uh, it's, I mean, look, if I was a Giants fan, I'd be really, really upset. Um, See, but at the Giants same time, fans- Giants fans, you know, of course they're upset. But you know what? The Giants had plenty of opportunities this year. They could have taken Paris. They should have beat the Cowboys previously. They should have beat the Eagles the first time. So forget about the Giants here for a second. If you're, I'm talk, if you're an Eagles player, you can't be happy. And I don't know if Eagles fans are, are happy either. And you know who's really not happy? Jalen Hurts. This is supposed to be your franchise quarterback here. And in this fourth or fifth start, you're pulling him for Sudfeld? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't see how that's going to work out for Hertz move forward at Peterson in Philadelphia. Well, we talk about it with teams all the time that we know want to lose that, uh, you know, tanking or whatever you want to call it is an organizational philosophy. It's not something that players do. And we even heard Jason Kelsey say it post game a couple of weeks ago that, um, you know, their goal is to, you know, win every game. Their coach uh, didn't give them a chance to do that. Um, is it, is it crap? Is it a crap maneuver? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I, uh, I just, I think for more of what you said, Nick, than from the perspective of the Giants, because I do think that some Giants fans who are just outraged about the Giants aspect of it, well, one, they might have still lost the game with Jalen Hurts. But the fact is that he didn't give his team a chance to win the game. And uh, so, I mean, the three spots in the draft, I mean, he can say whatever he wants. It's obvious that, you know, Doug Peterson didn't, didn't, try to give his team a chance to win the game. I do think that there are some giant fans though, that would just be singing a different tune. If on fourth and goal, Jalen hurts threw a touchdown pass instead. And uh, they were ahead in the game before he pulled him out and they won, they wouldn't care as much. So uh, I just think it's a, it's a crappy situation. I got to give kudos to Chris Collinsworth because you don't openly see it. An announcer like calling out a coach and he did, he did so. So good for him. Now, Rick, what a great comment. He was wrong about the G-Men winning the NFC East. He didn't think Washington had seven wins in them. Well, I got to give kudos to Alex Smith. Congratulations, Alex Smith. You led the Washington football team to the playoffs. You guys deserved it. Congrats. And the Bucs should be an upset alert because Brady usually goes to bed at 820. He's going to be playing football at 820. I think he's one in three in primetime games this year. And as we know, a team with a losing record has never lost its first-round playoff game. So don't overlook Washington football team here. The defense played well as well. And really, this is all Alex Smith's doing because Dwayne Haskins is an absolute bum. We're never going to see him in the league again. Kyle Allen got hurt. And congratulations to the Washington football team. Congratulations, Ron Rivera. Congratulations to Alex Smith. It's a great story. Alex Smith, comeback player of the year. I don't think there's any doubt about it. So congrats to them. They earned it. They deserved it. And the playoff picture is set now, Michael. We'll, we'll look at Saturday real quick here. You got the Colts, Bills. You got Bucks and Washington at night, and the Rams and Seahawks. Rams and Seahawks got to talk about the unfortunate injury to Kyler Murray because that absolutely sucked. I had no doubt about it. The Cardinals are going to win that game. You see the Bears get beaten, but because because of that injury comes to the backup quarterback, it's just wow. How many bad backup quarterbacks are there in the league? It's it's wild. So that that they set. And in the Sunday games, you got the Ravens and Titans, you got the Bears and Saints, and you got the Browns and the Steelers. So everything's set. 
and look forward to next weekend, especially the game with Nickelodeon. We'll see how that one works out. <laughs> Michael, you want to go on the record here with the Super Bowl prediction? Yeah, so right now I think the safest bet is to say something like the Chiefs versus the Saints because both these teams have so much going for them. And I think that's a very solid bet, and I'm probably going to stick with that. But at the same time, I really think the pay, or the Buccaneers have such a nice path for them. And if they can somehow find a way to get to that NFC Championship without having to play the Saints, I think they have a really good shot of taking this whole thing. All right, uh, right. Looking at it on the AFC side of things, you know, obviously the Steelers have fallen off. There are other teams that are in the mix. The Bills have seemed to catch some fire. There's some great teams outside of them with the Browns being able to run as well as they do. The Ravens look good. But ultimately, it seems like the Chiefs should definitely take the AFC, and the NFC is where things should get a little mixed up. Brian, what are you thinking? Super Bowl matchup. Yeah, it's a little bit like the college football playoff on one hand where, you know, I chose Alabama even though it's boring, and that is the case in the AFC. I think Michael's right. You just can't really overthink it. I think it would be very fun for a team like the Bills to get there, to play them, but then you think about that matchup, and it's like, well, what is the only team that could go uh, blow for blow with the Bills' offense? It's the Chiefs. And so uh, I do think that the Chiefs come out of the AFC, and I think the Packers come out of the the, the NFC. Uh, I think that they have been – a little bit uh, underrated over the course of the season because everybody knows that they went 13 and three last year, but they really weren't that good. They ended up in the NFC title game and got stomped out by the 49ers at two separate times last year, including the NFC title game. And I think people expected a little bit of regression from them, but they really haven't. Aaron Rodgers is the MVP of the league. They have a ton of weapons on offense, a little bit similar to uh, not as high-profile names, but kind of like Tampa Bay, where they can basically score on you any which way that you want. Their defense definitely gives you a little bit of trouble, but the fact that everyone's got to go through Lambeau uh, makes it that much harder. So I'm going to say Chiefs and Packers in the Super Bowl. So the last seven Super Bowls, all 14 participants have had a first-round bye. So most likely we're looking at a Packers-Chiefs Super Bowl, taking it way back. And you know what? That'd be great for the game because you got Mahomes versus Rodgers. But I do believe the Bills are going to beat the Chiefs, and here's why. The first time they played, they the Bills lost. But you got to remember, that was because the schedule kept changing due to COVID. So we didn't really see them at full strength. And to me right now, the Bills are rolling. They're on this momentum. And I think the fact of the matter is that the, the bye week here for the Chiefs, right after the fact that they – didn't play Mahomes, didn't play Kelsey, and they didn't play Hill. They're gonna they're gonna have to you know get that momentum going real quick again right away. They're gonna be in the AFC Championship game, we know that. But the Bills are coming in. They're super hot. They played hard Week 17. They destroyed the Dolphins to keep them out of the playoffs. And right now, Josh Allen to me just looks scary. He looks like he's 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 coming an elite quarterback. And I just like the way the Bills are playing. So I think I'm gonna say. Chalk on both sides as far as we're gonna get the Buck, we're gonna get the Packers versus the the Saints one two, and the other side we're gonna get Chiefs Bills. And I think in a very close classic game, I have the Bills going to the Super Bowl to take on the Packers. Uh, you know what? Might as well spice things up a little bit because most people have the Chiefs going. To me, it's just so hard to go back to back in the Super Bowl. We haven't seen it uh, in many years, uh, so I'm gonna to lean towards another another winner here, just because I think. 
something kind of sets in your mind where it's like, all right, I'm going to give my all here, but no, we just won last year, so we'll see. But should be a fun playoff. Uh, the Bears got in. They did it. They're going to they're gonna be an interesting matchup for the Saints. We'll see what the future is for Matt Nagy now that he's in the playoffs. But, uh, you know, Michael, we had, a, we had a bunch of firings already today. Yeah, some huge firings that will kind of shape this whole thing up. I think one of the most enticing jobs out there has to be the Los Angeles Chargers gig. Working with a QB that has kind of proven himself like Justin Herbert has to be extremely enticing to anyone that is looking to become a head coach because you're really kind of set at the QB position, which is one of the biggest things that can really make or break a position. You look at a guy like Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy where they're out in Chicago and they had a great team, but they didn't really ever get that consistent QB play. And ultimately it cost them because fans grew tired of it, even though they have had their playoff appearances. So really it's just one of those situations where if you have a QB that kind of seems like a franchise guy, then that's a great spot to land. And that's why people are going to be interested in these positions like the Jacksonville job, the Houston job and Los Angeles job. And then there's also the positions like Detroit and Atlanta, where you kind of have a QB in place, but the window is a lot smaller. Yeah, I think I was stunned to see that the, the Chargers finished seven and nine. I mean, and that's really just a, a matter of football going a few different ways from being a playoff team. Everybody thinks the Jaguars job's the top job. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, but if I'm a coach, Brian, I think I want to be in Los Angeles and be the Chargers coach because Justin Herbert looks unreal. His potential still on tap, and it, it, there's just a good unit there overall. Look, look, I think I got to kind of equate it to Stefanski coming in with the Browns, taking over for Freddie Kitchen's mess. The guys turned around, huge wins, you know, win after win, double-digit wins during the playoffs. So, to me, that's a that's a job that I'd be looking for if I was the head coach. Uh, but Brian, how are you how are you ranking up all these openings here? And is the Jets opening the worst op- the worst opening, or is the Lions opening the worst opening? Yeah, it's between those two. I mean, for as terms of the worst opening, and in terms of the best, I mean, it's got to be pretty obviously the Chargers because I mean the quarterback is great, and I guess that's where it starts. But you look on both sides of the ball; they have three, four, or five guys on each side of the ball, and they're actually getting what I think the thirteenth pick. They're getting a. They're getting a middle-of-the-road pick, a pick better than their talent level would suggest, but they had such – Anthony Lynn actually did the next coach a huge favor. He's going to get them a better draft pick by mismanaging the end of half a dozen games this season. And, um, you know, I think that that's where, honestly, a guy like Eric Bieniemy is going to have his choice of where he wants to go. He's a great offensive mind. You've got guys like Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler there as well, and uh, I think that offense is just waiting to uh, break out with Herbert um, you know, under center. So I think that's probably where uh, Eric Bieniemy winds up since he's going to have his uh, pick of the litter. I think another guy now very much open in the market is Joe Brady with Zach Taylor being announced as the head coach for next year in Cincinnati. Joe Brady was linked to Cincinnati because Joe Burrow, that previous connection. Now, if he's still in that head coaching conversation for a lot of teams, this guy is very much available and, he could be a great fit in Los Angeles as well. Yeah, I saw that the uh, the Lions were planning to interview Marvin Lewis, and I think that's absolutely very, very smart. Uh, Marvin Lewis never won the Super Bowl, but you know what? He's going to build a winner. 
the Lions could be back in the playoffs really quickly, easily turn it around, consistently win eight to nine games a year, which is much better than what they've been doing the last eight or so years. They made a big mistake getting rid of Jim Caldwell. I see you guys shaking your heads. You hate Marvin Lewis, but you know what? Resumes build longevity. So let's hear it from either one of you. Why do you think Marvin Lewis to the Lions is a terrible pick? Because you know the Lions aren't the most attractive spot. They're not going to get be getting the enemy. They're not going to get Urban Meyer. So where do they go? Should they go for the hot shot coordinator, the Bills offensive coordinator? Should they go for Salah with the 49ers? Or should they go with somebody who they know is finally going to let their team win after all these years? They're miserable fans. They went through so much. The 0-16 season, they got a little momentum here. They might be moving on. Might be moving on from Stafford, we'll say. But obviously, you guys hate that pick. So tell me where the line should go, if not Marvin Lewis. Michael, do you want to go first? I mean, it's the same thing as Jeff Fisher, really. It's an outdated coach that had a great career, and you can give him all the credit you want. That's fine. I have no issues with it. But the guy is not the same as he was in this previous era because he's not this new era of coach. So, yeah, he's a fine coach. He had a fine career at Cincinnati, ended on a sour note. But the biggest issue in Cincinnati was that it was such an old-school style football that they never adapted, and as the game changed, they fell further behind. Yes, he could potentially go into Detroit with this new mindset a la John Gruden and kind of change his game. But we're looking at this thing where we see so many coaches get these new chances because they were this old school hire, and then they just kind of stick to their old school ways and they fall behind. And I think Marvin Lewis does more of the same, and Detroit is just going to find themselves at the bottom of the standings for three years, and then they'll have to fire Marvin Lewis again. <laughs> Listen, as a fan of a bad team, looking for a coach. I'm going to try to speak for Lions fans a little bit here. Get out of here with these retreads because I get it. The Lions have been bad and having a better coach would anything would be maybe better than what they've had. And maybe they could win five games or six games or seven games. Marvin Lewis's ceiling. If everything works out perfect is that the Lions, if they kept everybody and drafted great and got some free agents is they could maybe go nine and seven. Like it would be the, best that they could possibly do but there are so many great offensive minds out there you do have a couple of uh weapons if you keep Matthew Stafford and you have DeAndre Swift a couple of these young offensive minds and even if they went the defensive route with Salah I don't even think that that would be a bad uh, a bad choice but I'm done with these retreads give me some fresh offensive minds uh I I do think a couple of guys that uh, Joe Brady is someone that we've talked about previously on the podcast but someone like Brian Dabble has completely uh taken Josh Allen a draft pick that people saw as very very flawed and maybe he was at the time but they built a great offensive around him uh, offense around him and another guy is Arthur Smith who's the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans he'd be someone that I'd love Uh, to see the Jets at least interview because that's someone who has taken a quarterback that Adam Gaze managed to ruin and turned him into a near MVP candidate, Ryan Tannehill. So uh, a couple of guys like that would be better options for any of these teams than just a retread of, of Marvin Lewis. Why don't they interview uh, Hugh Douglas while, uh, while they're at it? Uh, you know, uh, Hugh Jackson, I'm sorry. Hugh Jackson had no success. He was our worst coach ever. Listen, my counter-argument here for your retread is I'll give you two examples of old-school guys who had major success in their first job, but they never won a championship. They go to the, their next job, they win multiple titles. Bill Belichick and Tom Coughlin, old-school guys. You know, those guys don't grow in the trees every day. But I think Marvin Lewis, you can't you can't lump this guy in with the Bill O'Brien or Hugh Jackson. He's, he's 
his, his win-loss record is much better. Uh, but the Jets, I think they're going to have a lot of problems, Brian. I'm sorry, but they're not going to be able to get whoever they want. That, that person, if they want, is going to have multiple offers to go wherever he wants. And I don't see the Jets as a huge enticing job. I thought it would be a great fit if they hired Day from Ohio State because then you could draft Fields. That would make sense if they say he's staying put. Now, Urban Meyer is really interesting, Michael, because I guess he's very interested in maybe dipping his toes in the NFL this year because you see Texas fire Tom Herman. And they go ahead and hire Steve Sarkeesian, who is a horrendous head coach, was awful at USC. You're going to see this guy fired in three years as well. So they didn't even call Urban Meyer. Maybe they did. He wasn't interested. You would think he'd want to go to Texas for a lot of money. So are we going to see Urban Meyer here in the NFL? And is it either with the Jaguars or is it going to be nobody? It seems like he is the leading candidate for Jacksonville. Honestly, though, I'm, I'm not in support of hiring Urban Meyer I think he is very much suited for the college game, but I don't think that he would have the same success at the NFL level. He seems like a great guy. He seems like a good coach to have around in terms of just bringing players together, but I don't think that his schemes and and much more would work at the NFL level. So, you know, if I'm Jacksonville, I'm trying for the Bienemies, I'm trying for the Joe Brady's, I'm trying for the Dabbles before I'm trying for Urban Meyer. And I understand that Urban Meyer has this track record of being a college football legend at the head coaching position, but I don't know. It's one of those things where I, I probably wouldn't support the hire, and I wouldn't be high on it until I see it succeed in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, Brian, who's the last college head coach who won a national championship to come to the pros and win a championship? I think it's Jimmy Johnson, right? We saw it did not work out with Nick Saban at all. Absolute disaster. Some guys – they're just better off being college football coaches. You you keep hearing Lincoln Riley's name pop up, but he's like, I have no interest in leaving from college football ranks. Now, if you were looking into the college football code coaching pool here to pull to the NFL, who would you be targeting? Would Arvin Meyer be your top guy, or do you want to take a chance on somebody, you know, like Kingsbury, who didn't actually didn't necessarily uh, you know win in college, but he's proven that he can develop players. I mean, maybe he can develop players a little bit, but nobody says that he can coach in the NFL. I mean, he still hasn't really proven that. I mean, uh, uh, I don't really give him credit for their defense, which is the strongest part of their team in Arizona, probably for the most part. Uh, but if I was looking in the college ranks, the most attractive one to me, since everyone else is throwing out hot takes here, is probably Matt Campbell from Iowa State. Um, he's not necessarily like those other coaches uh, in the sense where, you know, when you think Urban Meyer, Lincoln Riley, and Tom Herman, maybe partially because of the, the programs they were ahead of, that is like, you're not just the head football coach. You're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company at Ohio State, at Texas, um, at schools like that. So I, I think of Matt Campbell more of as an actual just football coach. Uh, I think that maybe he'd be able to you know, translate to the NFL game better than some of those other guys. But you know what? I'm not really super interested in uh, many college coaches coming to the NFL. I do hear that teams like the the Jets could be interested in interviewing Matt Campbell. I suppose there's no harm in that. But, you know, if I had to choose one, it'd probably be him. But I'd be looking at coordinators who have had success at the NFL level, who have been proven guys in this league for an extended period of time. You know, I'm really high on a guy like Brian Dabble who's actually coached for all four teams in the AFC East. So someone who's had a lot of uh, experience and not just him, but other guys that have coached at this level before. I, I don't really see the point in handing over the keys 
to your uh, to your organization as somebody who uh, hasn't proven they could do it at this level. We've seen, as you mentioned, some of the best college coaches there are come to the NFL have absolutely no success and then turn around and just leave. Yep. Uh, keep an eye on Dan Campbell. I think tight end coach for the Saints. He's going to be one of these years. Going to break through and get a head coaching job. You know, we sort of, we sort of fill him with the Dolphins a few years ago. Did a solid job. I think he's an eye, someone to keep an eye on, especially with the fact that there's so many openings this year that it's going to be. You know, everyone's going to be scrambling at some point, and when it's going to be like musical chairs, eventually there's going to be you know not many people left. And unfortunately, Brian, I think that's going to be the Jets. I think the Jets' job is just. I think the Jets are going to reach out to all these big names, and then they're going to have to wait. It's going to be up to the people who are making the making the hires. I will say, I think Salah is probably. I think there's a chance we could see him as the Jets head coach uh, if they decide to go in a defensive direction. But as we've seen, Michael, as of late, everybody's just trying to hire the next up and coming offensive hotshot. So, what does that say for a guy like him who, you know, last year had an incredible defense to go to the Super Bowl? And he really didn't get many coaching opportunities. I think what it says about him for this year isn't much, but it's what we saw last year where he had this phenomenal year and he kind of got looked over for the offensive guys. So it's just one of those delayed processes where if they're going to go with a guy that's defensive, they're going to try to really see it for more years. So I think more so than a guy like Sala, we could see it with a guy like uh, the Colts defense coordinator, Iberfuss, who has kind of put together this great year but I could very easily see him kind of get passed over for these guys that have an offensive background with their coaching pedigree to where this guy now has to come back to Indianapolis for another year, has to be defense coordinator again and put it together one more time to really become a hot head coaching candidate. So really, I don't think Sal is going to have to pay for that this year. I think he kind of had it last year where he just had to serve another term as defense coordinator until now he's now, proven himself with all the injuries that he's overcome to still have a really great defense and be a great defensive coach. Whereas, you know, like I said, guys like Eberflus, we're probably going to have to see another year of before NFL teams are willing to hand over the team. Right. And we've got to see, again, if the, if the Chiefs make a deep run, does that hurt the enemy? Because they can either interview him this week and hire him right away, or he's got, they got to wait until after the Super Bowl to hire him. So, well, I'll say maybe he gets hired right away this week. That's going to be something to keep an eye on. I think on our next show, Michael, we should do your rookie coaches of the year, Rockman's rookie coaches of the year. It'd be great to go through everybody and analyze, you know, what the job Matt Rule did, Joe Judge, etc. So I think that's, or maybe not necessarily rookie coaches of the year, but new coaches at the first place as we can look at someone like Ron Rivera as well, who was a retread, which Brian is not a fan of. But I think it's time now for us to look. At the last Rookie of the Week of the Year, Rockwind's Week 17 Rookies of the Week. In Week 17, we had some big performances, but there's no one that is more consistent on this list than Justin Herbert. Another great outing for him against Kansas City, 22 for 31, 302 yards, three touchdowns, and one rushing touchdown. Ultimately, Justin Herbert has ran away with the Rookie of the Year award. Um, Obviously, there's arguments for guys like, you know, Justin Jefferson, Tristan Wirfs, and other guys along those lists. But there's no one that's going to come close to a QB that broke records at the rookie position. And that's what Justin Herbert did. One last phenomenal performance to send it off. A great year for Justin Herbert and a great final performance. Herbert, as we talked about, will be having a new head coach next year. Most likely with that will be a new offensive coordinator. So we'll see how he does in the new scheme. 
for the next rookie of the week, we got J.K. Dobbins, who has really come on strong to end the season. 13 carries, 160 yards, two touchdowns. He is going to be a problem next year. If you're in any fantasy leagues, keep an eye on where J.K. Dobbins' value is. Pay a little bit more than whatever it is because this guy is going to win you leagues. He is an absolute playmaker. He is great in open space. He has the playmaking ability to get through the line between the tackles and also extend plays to the outside and get deep. So this guy in this game against the uh, – in this game, he had such a phenomenal performance. And really, J.K. Dobbins has taken over this running back spot and look for the Ravens to depend on him heavily in playoffs. Even though it was against the Bengals, this, this guy just absolutely dominated. Our next player of the week, Jonathan Taylor, 30 carries, 253 yards, two touchdowns. Definitely a standout performance. You don't really see these types of performances. It was almost like a Wisconsin throwback for the guy. Absolutely dominant. 30 carries, put the team on his back, and got the team a huge, much-needed victory over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Indianapolis is going to really try to depend on Taylor, much like I said about the Ravens, and look for Taylor to really step up to that challenge. Our next rookie of the week, Jerry Judy, five catches, 140 yards, one touchdown. This guy had some question marks coming into this game because he had some drops in his last few outings. There were some really a lot of people doubting how good he really was, and he put it together for this performance, put together a great game in what was a phenomenal finish over against Las Vegas. The Raiders ended up pulling away and winning that game by one point. But Jerry Judy was huge for the offensive side of things for the Broncos and look for him to continue to grow and next year potentially being that wide receiver one in Denver. And then for the last rookie of the week, there's no doubt about it. Chase Young, one sack, three quarterback hits, seven pressures, and a fumble recovery. You're looking at a guy who has just proven week in, week out to be a star in this NFL. He had had constant pressure all night and really is a key reason for why Washington is making the playoffs. There is just so much on the table for this guy to become a star in this league. And Chase Young absolutely does that week in, week out. Look for him in the playoffs. He said, I want Tom. I don't know. Tristan Wirfs is going to be in for it because this is going to be a crazy tough matchup. Nick, you saw all the rookies over the year. This last week is kind of a great opportunity for a lot of coaches to kind of get them more involved than ever, really kind of capitalize and see what they they're really have in these rookies. Guys like Darnell Mooney, Justin Jefferson got snubbed from this list just because there were so many great performances. What do you think of this rookie class overall in their first year in the NFL? I think there are some amazing performances, obviously. Jefferson – Herbert exceed expectations, but it's kind of mixed because on the flip side, guys like Tua, very disappointing. Not you know not what you expected these overhyped guys to be. Uh, Judy, he him and Rugs they kind of like they were hit or miss this season. You know we thought they were going to be superstars right away. Judy has a great last game. Rugs had his moments. Uh, so. You know, there are things we, we thought would happen, and I did, which was that Jonathan Taylor was going to end up running the ball 25 times a game and getting touchdowns, and he did. 
overall a very solid rookie class. I, I think maybe we could uh, look back uh, in a few weeks from now, you know, once the regular season's over and the playoffs are over and kind of re- review the the draft. Maybe we get a, a Rockman uh, redraft and we see who, who would go in what order if, if we knew what we knew today. I think that would be a pretty cool thing for us to see. But overall, I think it was kind of like a 50-50 kind of season. But again, you got to wonder how much did the pandemic play into the fact that some guys didn't perform right away because no training camp, no preseason. And then the flip side, like I said, Herbert and Jefferson didn't seem to bother them at all. Herbert didn't make us – he knew it about 10 minutes before his first start, and he just took that job. Sorry, Tyron Taylor. Uh, but between Herbert and Jefferson, two of the best rookie seasons we've ever seen offensively. Yeah, absolutely. Brian, what are your thoughts on this rookie class? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, we kind of knew right from the – we saw right from the beginning what Herbert could do. The guy I'm really, I guess, uh, was mo- – I'll break it into two categories that I was just – besides Herbert, the guy I was most wowed by over the course of the season is probably Justin Jefferson. Uh, you know, Minnesota has other weapons on that offense, but you could see immediately the kind of impact that Jefferson made. The guy is an absolute freak. And the other one's Taylor, and I say Jonathan Taylor because – you know, who would have thought maybe around week five, week six, week seven, when Naeem Hines was getting a lot of snaps and Taylor had some fumbling issues that actually, you know, cost them cost them a game in there that that we would be looking back now at Jonathan Taylor being maybe, what, one of the top three or four guys for uh, rookie of the year candidates. So, I mean, I think that Herbert and Chase Young were, uh, well, Herbert maybe came as a bit of a surprise in the very beginning, but Chase Young was exactly what we thought he would be, but... I think Jonathan Taylor and Justin Jefferson really uh, exceeded expectations from what we thought they'd be uh, from the start of the season. Absolutely. And over the course of the year, there have been some strong rookies in this class. And now it is time to look at Rockman's Rookies of the Year in what has been a phenomenal season for many. We're going to start out with Justin Herbert. We talked about him just a few seconds ago. Obviously, the leading candidate for Offensive Rookie of the Year Throwing 66% in passing, 4,336 yards, very close to setting the yardage record. 31 touchdowns, which is the touchdown record for rookie QBs. Five rushing touchdowns on top of that. 36 over the course of the season. 10 interceptions. A huge season for Justin Herbert. A huge sign of hope for Charger fans. They have been blessed with the QB play that they have gotten going from Rivers to Herbert. Really not much of a hiccup at all. They are going to be very exciting to watch. The Herbert-Mahomes rivalry could be very fun once both these teams are at their peak. And, you know, who knows? Maybe we haven't even seen the Chiefs at their peak with how good Mahomes has been playing. The next guy on this Rookie of the Year list is Justin Jefferson. 88 catches, 1,400 yards, 7 touchdowns, almost 16 yards per catch. He is an absolute monster. He has been a consistent presence for Minnesota. And he has been absolutely a playmaker, arguably already a top 15 receiver in the NFL. And, you know, with more time to grow and this Minnesota offense just seeming to get better week in, week out throughout the course of the season with a consistent season, I think this guy could really lead the league in catches, lead the league in yards. And he he certainly looks like he is going to be special. For the next rookie of the year, 
Apologies, Brian. I had to snub Becton. It's because Tristan Works has really earned this spot. 11 games without a single sack. 3.4% quarterback pressure rate. Led all rookie tackles in the NFL. He played 100% of snaps, which was the main thing that really put him over Becton. Availability is the best ability. And when you can play all offensive snaps on a team that is really full in on contending and step in and be the best lineman, you are an absolute monster. Tristan Worse, what a phenomenal season for the guy. And really just the the building block of the future for the Bucks is going to be with these great offensive linemen like Worse. And this is just a phenomenal game and a phenomenal year for Tristan Worse to start out his career. The next rookie of the year, Chase Young. As we know, Washington football team has made playoffs and is a lot due to Chase Young. Seven and a half sacks, four forced fumbles, 32 tackles in total, four pass deflections, and 39 pressures. He faced double team all season, and he still is putting up great stats. Look for him to continue to grow these numbers and continue to dominate. Chase Young stepped into the league on day one and was being game planned for by offensive coordinators being game planned for by offensive lines, and he still had a presence week in, week out. So Chase Young, absolutely on the Rookie of the Year. And honestly, I think he has secured the Defensive Rookie of the Year over who's next on this list, Jeremy Chin, who has 68 tackles, one sack, two forced fumbles, and five pass deflections. Jeremy Chin out of Southern Illinois, shout out to the Salukis. A phenomenal season, a huge block building block for this Carolina Panthers young defense. Jeremy Chin came in as kind of a surprise for a lot of people. Maybe not many people expected him to have as much of an impact as he did right away. And Jeremy Chin has just been absolutely phenomenal. Nick, we talked about this rookie class already, but one thing that I think is very impressive is just how well these rookie offensive tackles actually played. There was this whole talk of the big four leading up to the draft. There's Tristan Wurst, obviously, Andrew Thomas, Mekhi Becton, and Jedrick Wills. And while Andrew Thomas and Jedrick Wills kind of struggled out of the gate, they both ended up putting together a very good season to end it. Tristan Wurst, obviously phenomenal. Mekhi Becton, when he was able to play, was doing very well, had some issues with staying on the field, but ultimately played most of the season. All four of these guys put together a phenomenal year and really are going to be key pieces of their team going forward. What do you think of these offensive linemen? I think, you know, I'm surprised that Becton was able to play so well uh, just because of the fact that he had to step in and immediately be the best lineman on the team. And I think Brian could speak to this, that the Jets really got to consider now, you know, taking another offensive lineman here, one of those top picks, because – if you put Becton with another top tackle, that's going to be great news for your quarterback, whether it's Sam Donald or not. So he was impressive. Andrew Thomas, I can't say I was overly impressed with his performance this year, uh, just due to the fact that he had some issues at first off the field, um, and then he you know, got benched for a game to start it. Uh, but ever since then, I guess it's a credit to Joe Judge that he was able to uh, – you know, turn things around. But with the Giants playing this rotational offensive line game where they're out rotating everybody, it, it's hard for me to get a good grasp on him. And I'm sure, I'm sure your guy Tom Brady really liked having Tristan Wirfs uh, 
especially with the fact that the QB pressure is just absolutely ridiculously low. But Brian, here's your chance. Go ahead and talk about how great Beckton is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be said for uh, a guy who, you know, this team gave a bunch of money. It's not like the Jets didn't address the offensive line. They didn't get any top flight guys, but they gave a bunch of multi-year deals to a bunch of middle-of-the-road guys, and it obviously didn't work. And it's like you said, Nick, this guy had to show up um, on the quarterback's blind side and be the best lineman on the team. I don't think that's an incredibly easy thing to do on a line that's bad, on a team that's bad. He was actually banged up at several points throughout the season and still managed to play uh, a whole bunch of games when it would have been really easy to kind of just shut it down. So uh, I would actually agree with uh, Michael's analysis here. I mean, Tristan Wirfs, what's there to argue with, really? But, um, you know, I'm actually really pleased with, with Becton. He's one of very few guys that I think Jets fans could – Look forward to uh, being on the team for many years to come. Right. And here's a great question, Michael, from Rick. I'll let you take this one. Assuming, you know, they take the offensive line and they still have Beckton. If they were to take Sewell, I think the ultimate choice would be moving Beckton over to right tackle just because we've kind of seen guys of this frame, you know, like Trent Brown, work very well on the right side. I think Beckton is one of those guys that it's not really – necessarily a familiarity thing that's going to be the key to his success whereas it would more be the idea that he can just automatically overwhelm anyone with his size so i think Beckham would be fine on the right side move him over there you have sewell there on the left and you keep things very comfortably but i don't think they should go sewell i think fant is fine he's not great but i think he's serviceable as a starter the bigger need is more the interior offensive line and obviously the biggest need is probably QB with the idea that you're going to be moving on from Darnold. So get your QB here, get five years of them, and then, you know, try to address the interior offensive line early so that you aren't kind of seeing a similar thing with uh, Joe Burrow, where even though they have their left tackle, they're just getting decimated everywhere else. So try to Brian, you want to take this question from Rick about Darnold. Yeah, I mean, nobody really wants to hear this because it's not hot takey, but the truth is, Rick, that two things can be true. Um, part of Darnold's lack of uh, progression is his own fault. He still makes some absolutely terrible decisions with the ball, so he has been bad in a lot of spots. And at the same time, over the last two years, I can't think of a single position that he's been in to succeed, whether it's uh, a lack of weapons, uh, the protection not really holding up, the coaching and play calling being absolutely abysmal. So it's a combination of things. I mean, I don't think he necessarily deserves to be automatically named a starting quarterback next year. I even said last week I wouldn't automatically pick up his fifth-year option and pay him $20 million. There's absolutely no way. Right. Uh, at the same time, I'm not completely sold on taking a quarterback not named Lawrence with the number two pick. I don't uh, necessarily just think it's – I know that the team needs a quarterback, so it seems just like a logical decision. And then Justin Fields throws for six touchdowns, and it's like, yes, let's go take that guy. And I get that reaction, but – um, I think there's a little bit of recency bias there. I mean, if you go back two more weeks, he played terribly against Northwestern, against a really good college defense. So I just think all those things need to be taken into account before you just take a quarterback um, just because you like think you need one. Uh, and the team does ultimately need one. It's You can't just hand the job to uh, Sam Darnold. Uh, at the same time, I just – 
I'm, I'm, I'm really not worried about moving someone like Becton over to the right side, which would probably be like an easy assimilation for him. And not because Fant has been terrible, he hasn't, but that's a short-term thing. And when you're drafting another offensive lineman, you're really looking at the next 10 years, hopefully. So I wouldn't let somebody who's here on a two-year deal or a three-year deal really uh, affect you if you think that a guy like Sewell is a franchise caliber Tristan Wirfs, Makai Becton type of staple uh, on your offensive line. But there are scouts. What, this is what fans don't realize. Scouts know a lot more than we do. They just do. If uh, if the Jets scouts are in love with one of these quarterbacks and thinks he's the quarterback of the future, well, then you got to go take your guy. I don't think you pass on quarterbacks of the future. Uh, at number two, um, I'm not a scout, but I wouldn't automatically just, you know, take a quarterback for, uh, I guess, for the hell of it. Yeah, and I think uh, you mentioned Pat Fitzgerald. He's somebody we forgot to mention uh, as potential head coach of the NFL this year, I think. That's a distinct possibility. Now, we, we talked about this before the season, Michael, which was that is Trey Lance going to be hurt by not playing this year? And absolutely he was because now you got Wilson passed him, maybe people saying Trask. So we'll see what happens there. That's a topic for another day. We'll have lots of Jets talk moving forward. We've got lots of Jaguars talk. Uh, we're going to talk about the Heisman that's coming out tomorrow. But first, Mike, I want to ask you, who is your Rockman's rookie running back of the year? We saw a lot of talent out of that position in the pros this year. Yeah, and I think one of the best things that happened this year was seeing a guy like James Robinson kind of get this undrafted position and really come in and take the running back job and really take it with full force. And for that, because he's had this job all season, produced all season, I have to give it to James Robinson. Uh, maybe if the opportunity was there more for a guy like J.K. Dobbins, he could have taken it. But I think with what we saw this year, and especially with expectation versus performance, there was no one better than James Robinson in that regard. And for that reason, like I said, I, I got to go James Robinson. But a lot of great running backs in this class, Cam Akers, Antonio Gibson, J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, and there's probably more to come. So, Exciting running back class. Keep an eye out for it. And, you know, this year is going to be an exciting running back class as well. No doubt about it. Now let's switch shift gears here. we got the Heisman Trophy presentation Tuesday night. Michael, who do you think is the favorite here to walk away with the Heisman Trophy? I'm actually surprised that Trevor Lawrence was nominated after missing two games. Yeah, and I think Trevor Lawrence has a chance for sure because, like Davo said, the argument of – let's attach our name to who has been the best college football player, arguably over the past three years might be something that weighs on their mind where there's not really a runaway candidate. However, I think if we're basing it entirely on this year, got to go with Devonta Smith, who has been an absolute playmaker, absolutely just dominating every game he's been in. He makes great catches. He makes great plays, whether it's a punt returner, a receiver or much more. He has just been absolutely dominant. Devonta Smith deserves it more than anyone. I understand that the QB versus wide receiver uh, run for getting the Heisman is going to be a lot harder, but Devonta Smith just seems like the absolute superstar. Whereas, you know, there's been human moments for Mac Jones. There's been human moments for Kyle Trask and there's been human moments for Trevor Lawrence. Whereas now we get to see Devonta Smith on this stage, really playing better than anyone, always being arguably the best player on the field at all times. And for that reason, I think he deserves Heisman more than anyone. Yeah, I think Trask is a, is a shoot-throw away from winning the Heisman Trophy, but things did not go his way there. And uh, 
to me, I'd vote for him. I'm surprised Wilson wasn't a finalist. It is what it is, though. You know, the last small school guy we saw win was was Alex Smith from Utah uh, State back in the day. That obviously elevated their program. But, you know, that's just the way college football is these days. Brian, any thoughts on the Heisman tonight? And I also wanted to mention something again on about coaching hires as we move forward here in the offseason. Yeah, I like Devontae Smith, and I say that also because we see quarterbacks get so much love with the Heisman. You know, um, almost every single year, it's so rare that we can, you know, count on one hand the amount of times you see another position player, even a defensive player, um, get recognition for that. And Devontae Smith, uh, changes your game plan entirely. You have to game plan around him, and it opens up the rest of your offense, and I think it just makes things that much easier for Mac Jones, although every one of the options was great. And the only thing I wanted to say about the retread hires is that I don't mean to say that any guy who's never who's ever been a head coach and lost his job as a head coach should never get hired as a head coach again. I'm just talking about coaches where it's a little bit what Michael said. You kind of know what you're getting from that particular coach. Marvin Lewis is a guy who in 16 seasons, his team went 500 or worse nine times. Out of the six times he went to the playoffs, they won a grand total of zero playoff games. You kind of know what you're getting from some of these guys. Ron Rivera took a team to the Super Bowl. You know, like it's so it's not all retreads, I guess, are are great and equal. There are guys who have gotten hired and fired that can be coaches again. But I'm sorry, Nick, not Marvin Lewis. So Mar- Marv Lewis, we'll see. I, I could start the show talking Marvin Lewis. Ended the show talking Marvin Lewis. All I said, and I really got you annoyed, is that, uh, you know, he's got a career record of 131 and 122, which, which is, is which is under 52 percent, which is under. Okay, but it's still it's still better than a lot of other guys in the league who've got multiple shots. Uh, you know, he's had double digit wins a few times. He's never really had a consistent loser. And all I said is he'd be a big upgrade for the Lions. That's all. Yeah, that's great. He would be. That's fine. Me or no you would be also. I think Mike, we can ramble on about football all day, but ultimately we got to get out of here. Thank you so much for everyone that's chiming in in the comment section. Thank you to Landry Football for giving us this platform to talk about it. Brian, thank you for joining us on the show today. Everyone, we will see you on Friday, Destination Draft Day, pro football, college football. It's a long road to the NFL draft, but we'll get you there. Destination Draft Day. Take care, guys. Thanks. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.